How are we doing, folks? My guest today is going to be Ann Patel. Ann is one of the most decorated winter athletes of all time. She was a four-time Olympian. She went to seven world championships. She won world championships in 1999. She had five World Cup wins, 21 World Cup podiums. She was a six-time national champion, and she won the World Cup overall title in 1999 and 2000 as well. And in this episode today, we discuss Anne's career. We talk about some of those lows, and we talk about certainly the highs, and what she did to achieve her best. Anne got a later start than most when it comes to uh, competitive skiing. She didn't start until she was 21. So we talk about that and really go in depth on her career and some of the setbacks and the perseverance that she's had and what really drove her to be her best. I hope you folks enjoy this episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks. That's the buzzer. <laughs> and thank you so much for uh, taking the time and coming on. Really do appreciate it. We've been talking about this for, for quite a long time. So I'm glad we're finally able to, uh, to make it happen. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's nice to be here and talk to you a little bit. I'm uh, we've talked about it a lot. I'm not good at uh, selling myself or talking about myself, so I don't generally jump on opportunities like this. But I do really enjoy your podcast, so may as well get put myself out there. Oh, well, there's so much to talk about too. You know, it's just a little bit one of the most uh, I mean decorated skiers of all time, regardless of uh, freestyle or alpine or anything like that. I mean, a four-time Olympian. That is uh, extremely impressive. And I think one of the more impressive things that I uh, kind of want to touch on and, and get into is that you are not early in the sport, especially nowadays. Everybody gets into sport or it seems so much more like, okay, you're 10 years old. You're going to be a professional baseball player and you're going to do nothing else. Where you, you know, played soccer and you had all these different um, athletic kind of endeavors that you that you took up and obviously enjoyed skiing and everything else but but freestyle was not a path that happened super early for you no not at all so I grew up in Vermont I was a third of four kids and um I grew up we grew up doing all sorts of sports but not competitive skiing at all um I played soccer and did gymnastics and was on a swim team and played softball and but we skied uh, on the weekends whenever we could my parents would just we lived about 20 minutes away from Bolton Valley so my parents would just drop us off up there and um, I have an older brother and sister who are three and four years older than I am and then a sister who's four years younger than I am um, so I was kind of grouped with the older brother and sister and my mom would drop us off and they would head up and go skiing and I'd kind of hang around the lodge and we'd got a dollar to buy a hot chocolate or something so I'd milk that dollar and you know, figure out what, what, what I was going to buy that day. And there was a pizza place downstairs. So I'd go down there and they had video games and not a huge fan of skiing, kind of cold, didn't right, have, cold. didn't have, uh, my brother and sister had, a, had kids their age that they were skiing with. And I didn't really have that. So, um, I'd ski a little bit, just didn't really like it. And, um, and then, eventually um we, we, when I was in seventh grade we went away um my dad was on sabbatical from the University of Vermont we went to Mexico City for the year and when we got back in eighth grade for some reason I suddenly started liking skiing and in high school um, I met a group of friends that would ski on the weekends at Sugarbush North and we could buy a ski pass I think it was 155 dollars so we'd go up Crazy. there for I know right <laughs> so I'd go up there um every minute I could with this group of buddies and just started falling in love with skiing and um we didn't have a ton of money growing up so I generally lived in hand-me-downs and we didn't do things like tune skis that was mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's was not on the radar at all. So, <laughs> so I didn't have any edges and, um, but I learned that you could slam into moguls to slow down, which of course, every mogul coach, including me right now is like, duh, but, uh, but that's what I did. And I got really proficient at it. Like I could go really fast and I could, you know, get down the hill. I didn't ever jump. That was, that was way too scary. But, um, so all through high school, my friends and I would just bomb around Sugarbush North and, um, ski the moguls we'd ski upper FIS and Bravo and Encore. And, um, and I actually went back to Sugarbush North for the first time this past summer since, um, since mm -hmm. college. And it is a teeny little ski area. I mean, it was this huge <laughs> playground to me back then, but it's like, I think it has four lifts. It was pretty funny to go back there, but, um, so then I went to college and, uh, and I was still playing soccer and skiing when I could in the wintertime. And, um, and that group of friends went to uh, a nearby, I, they went to UVM and I went to Middlebury. And so we could, would meet up at Sugarbush and, and ski together. And it was still super fun, but I didn't do it quite as much. And then when I was a junior, world championships for mogul skiing was at Lake Placid. Mm -hmm. So that was in 19, I think it was 88. Okay. So um, a friend and I went over to, to check it out. And rather than be amazed, I was kind of like, oh, I can do this. I know I can do this. So when I graduated from college, I, um, at that point, I was playing soccer with uh, Wanda Good, who is Jeff Good's younger sister. And Jeff Good was competing on the Noram tour at that point and living in Steamboat. And um, so when he came home um, in the summertime, he would actually coach a little bit of soccer. And so he was my coach a little bit. And so I was talking to him about mogul skiing and he was like, oh, you, you know, you totally should do it. It's so fun. And Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club is such a great place. And mm -hmm. um, so I, it was kind of in the back of my mind. I can I can do this. So um, so when I graduated from college, I decided I was going to just go for it and, you know, be a ski bum slash competitor and see where it went. And so in Colorado, um, the teams back then that I knew of were Winter Park and Steamboat and Telluride. And my sister lived in Telluride, so I knew I didn't want to go there. And Winter Park was a little too close to, to Denver for me. So I just, I moved to Steamboat and I knew, and I knew Goody out here too. So that helped just to have a contact. Right. Um, so I moved to, I moved to Steamboat, joined the Winter Sports Club, met Park Smalley. And um, he was kind of like, you're how old and you want to do what? And you've never competed before. So he was, he was pretty realistic. He was good though. He's like, okay, you know, why don't you put a time limit on it so that you're not one of those people that, is trying to ski for the rest of their life. So, um, so we said, okay, let's try to make the U S team in two years. Okay. So I skied regionally for two years, the first year, uh, well, back, let me back up back then the way to make the U S ski team was from U S nationals. That was mm -hmm. your choice. Right. So you had to get top, basically top four at U S nationals. If you wanted to make the team, mm -hmm. um, now so how, how old were you at this point? What, what's the age? So I graduated college when I was 21. So 21. Okay. So, so the first year I competed um, regionally and I was an alternate for U.S. Nationals. The second year I competed regionally and I made U.S. Nationals and I actually got fifth at U.S. Nationals. So that was in 91. Okay. Um, and so I made the development team. They had a much more robust development team back then. Um, they were like, I'm trying to think of who else was on the development team. We probably had, I don't know, four or five girl I'm talking just girls on the mm -hmm. development team something like that so and that was the year in 1991 when they started selections because 92 was going to be the first um, event in the Olympics Olympics yeah. so um, selections were at Snowbird and Alta and um, 
so I drove over to, to, and again, I didn't, you know, I was a cocktail waitress. I didn't have any money or anything. Right. I, <laughs> so I drove over to, to Salt Lake city. The rest of the people were staying up at the, up at the cliff lodge or the wildflower or something like that. Yeah. I crashed on a friend from college's couch in Salt Lake city and drove up to the ski area every day. And, um, we the first day we got like three feet of snow and the second day we got like two feet of snow and there was no course at all <laughs> so i'm freaking out i'm like you know i'm here i'm here to ski i'm here to compete i'm here to win this thing mm-hmm. and there's no moguls and there's no course and that's when i met uh donnie st pierre who was a long time u.s ski team coach mm-hmm. um and uh great sense of humor you know doesn't nothing ruffles his feathers and uh you know i I'm, i was pretty intense like this was my goal. I wanted to, to make the world cup and make the Olympics. And, um, you know, he's like, Oh, let's go powder skiing. And I was like, I'm not going powder skiing. We got to go train. Of course there's nowhere to train. So, so anyway, long story short, I ended up, um, winning in, I won one of them and got second in the other and got the one spot available to go to the world cup Mm -hmm. and through the world cups at, uh, Breckenridge Lake Placid, and Whistler, um, I got the fourth spot to go to the Albertville Olympics in 1992. So unbelievable that drives. So so where does it? Where does that like you know you say intent? You know you have your goals very driven, and where where is that? Where's that stem from? Is that mom and dad like at an early age, or I mean, what, what was their impression when you're like, all right, I'm done with college. I think I'm going to move to Steamboat and give this whole skiing thing a go even though I've never competed well, or given that a try. <laughs> they definitely got me and my siblings involved in sports from a young age. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we did in our family. We, mm-hmm. I mean, they, you know, we did everything when we were little, we were on all the teams and, um, and that was, that was kind of my identity. Like, you know, I, like I said, I played soccer and I played softball and I did gymnastics and that was, that was what I did all through high school. And then, and then skied on the weekends. And that was always a, that was always the recreational thing, but it was, but it was also very competitive with my friends. Like, you know, who's going to get to the bottom first? Like I, a couple of them were ski racers, but not, not super serious. And they like to ski moguls too. So we just would be in the moguls skiing. And it was always like, you know, trying to outdo each other. And that was, that's just what we did. And um, I think the Olympics weren't, they were, I didn't grow up with the television, so we heard a lot about the Olympics and we watched a little bit of it, but we didn't, we didn't really have, I mean, it wasn't on TV, so it wasn't, gymnastics was the big thing in my family. Gotcha. Um, we knew a lot about Nadia Kamenich and Olga Corbett and we watched, we followed that intensely, Mary Lou Retton, um, but skiing, you know, Bill Johnson was, was from them. So we like the Mara brothers, like it was yep. on our radar, but it wasn't, the Olympics at that point wasn't as big a deal as the U.S. ski team. Like for me, I remember telling my dad one time, you know, I want to win the World Cup. I want to win the overall World Cup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, I'm like, the Olympics is one race. And he was like, yep. yeah, but it's the Olympics. It's a big deal. And, <laughs> but, but to me, that wasn't as big a deal as winning the overall World Cup, sure, which yeah. I look back at it now and I'm like, well, huh, maybe you should have changed your focus a little bit because mm-hmm. you did win the World Cup, but you never did win the Olympics. So, right. but, but anyway, so, um, so I think just, um, being so involved in sports from a young age, always wanting to win that soccer game, always wanting to, you know, nail that routine on the balance beam. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the drive. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the best at whatever sport I did. Mm-hmm. And once I started skiing, I absolutely loved it for one thing. Like it was, I loved mobile skiing, not, not necessarily just going out and skiing, but mobile skiing was, 
specifically. Yeah. Right. And then once I got in the competitive circuit in Colorado, um, I just wanted to win. That was, I mean, I wanted to win and I, I worked my tail off. There's no doubt. I mean, I was on the Hill every day and I would be like, okay, I'm going to make 10 more runs before I go down. I mean, no joke. Like I would be after training, say, I'm going to go make 10 more runs. Like I look at that now and I'm like, holy mackerel. Like I definitely put it, put it, put it in, put in the mm -hmm. time. Right. Um, and, uh, so I think just by the time I got to the world cup, I still had that same mentality of, I want to win. I want to win. And I knew that too. And that was the age of the era of Donna Weinbrecht. So she pretty much won everything, um, all the time. And that was, I really struggled with that because I just couldn't figure out how to get better than she was. I mean, her natural touch in mobile skiing is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And mine wasn't, um, I was big and strong and athletic and it took a lot of fine tuning for me to get there. Um, <laughs> right. and like I said, I trained my butt off. Um, but and that obviously helped and it definitely honed my skills, but I didn't have that. I mean, I had some natural talent, obviously, or I wouldn't have made it as far as I did, mm -hmm. but I didn't have like, I would train so much more than Donna would, for instance, mm -hmm. and she would beat me and it would drove me crazy. So I think <laughs> quite honestly, like that's what kept me going is like, how am I going to figure this out? How am I going to get better? Right. And the one right. place that I did tend to do better was air and speed. Um, mm -hmm. I, with the gymnastics background that definitely helped at that point. And also, you know, in the nineties, we weren't flipping, um, which it's just different. I don't think one is harder necessarily than the other. I think one's more intimidating than the other, but our courses weren't prepared. They weren't prepared as well as they are now for flipping. Yeah, certainly. Yep. You had to go bigger to do a triple. Like there's, there's definitely, I mean, obviously people throwing cork tens, that's a huge deal. But, you know, when people are like, oh, well, you didn't flip. I'm like, yeah, but we went pretty big and we did, you know, I was on the forefront of the 360 and the, you know, like we definitely were pushing the limits. It was different though. There's no doubt about it. And no, I'd never flipped on snow. I have on water, but never on snow. Yeah. Um, so I'm just talking. I don't really know, obviously what I'm talking about, but um, so I think that drive was just that I wanted, I wanted to be able to say I'm the best. Mm -hmm. so, now, was it more, I'm always curious on this. Is it more of like, the like hating to lose or just like had like the thrill like did you like just hate like okay donna beat me you know lost here and is that it or is it more of like you just love that thrill of getting the win and be or was it just like more of like a relief like okay i won all right i think it was hating to lose i think it was having to admit to myself that i wasn't the best one out there and i only won five world cups in my entire career so i lost a lot right um it, it, uh, but it definitely, you know, it kept, it kept the drive going, you know, and people say, oh, you know, you need to see your best. You need to focus on yourself. Yeah, you're right. You do. But if you really, really want to win, you have to pay attention to what other people are doing too. And you know, the difference between a, a red ribbon and a blue ribbon. So it's, yeah. uh, it, it, it kept me going for sure. No. And I think, I mean, that's super important, especially to, to like know yourself. And there's always, uh, I think as it gets later into your career and, and knowing how like the difference in, in, not maybe having as much talent or whatever, but be able to make up for that with the volume and the drive and the intensity and like putting in more work on the hill. And I mean, it pays off in different ways. I'm sure you were probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest girl out there when you're going out doing another 10, 15 runs, like <laughs> none of the other yeah. ladies are out there doing that. Sure. And that, that like, you know, it, it's always one of those things you look at, like 
the beginning of, of a ski season or something else, your back's like super sore after you ski like a couple runs and everything. And then by the end of the season, obviously you're full, like, you know, mogul back, which is really bad. Lower back pain doesn't really exist. You know, it's totally gone because your body's used to it and kind of used to that impact and, and pounding and going through and putting, putting that extra time in. I mean, it definitely, definitely makes a difference. And I think, I think it not only, you know, during your career, but later in life, it shows you, you the difference that you need to make and and really what it takes if if that's the best way to do it. You know, out, yeah. outwork everybody else, and then you you kind of look at looking back. I mean, there's really um, I guess you can say you really have no regret, right? You you put in as much work as you possibly could, and it's hard. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's always a couple here and there, you know, but I mean, for the most part, uh, you know, one of the things I think that you touched on is is true in my mind. I mean, the Olympics is a one day thing and the spotlight is definitely on it, but I think it's much more impressive to be a world cup overall champion where you have to go in, you know, 10, 15 different stops and prove it uh, throughout the end of the season that you are better than everybody else and you are more consistent. And uh, especially back then, because courses were a lot more different than they are now. Um, where, you know, you, most of the courses are fairly same pitch, same consistency. But I mean, back then you had some of those courses like Breck and just super steep, you know, Silver Fox and Snowbird or, um, you know, Shiro Japan, you had all these different places which just totally super steep. And then you'd show up to another course and it would be super flat and you just really um, makes it a true World Cup overall champion. So, I mean, I think that, you know, um, to do that uh, a couple times is uh, uh, extremely impressive. I mean, 21 podiums, five wins, and then four Olympics is just uh, absolutely uh, in, insane. I mean, it's super impressive, and, um, you know, a lot of people just, just fight to try to get into to one and to see four and that consistency that built up, you know, I mean, especially for getting into it uh, later in your career. I mean, uh, just super, super impressive. So for, for you, I mean, what – what was it like? What were some of those things that, that helped you, I guess, uh, stay on focus and kind of keep your priorities in order for, for building out um, and continuing to kind of build out, uh, you know, some of, some of just the main time skiing that, like, I, I need to get this better here. This is what the goal is. And then how would you reach kind of uh, achieving that rather than just, I want to go out and I want to win. I want to win. <laughs> So, um, I grew up with no edges on my skis, so I didn't know how to carve a ski. I just didn't. Right. We had straight skis back then. Um, and I was, I was like my biggest now nemesis of the person that would go ching, 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 you know, totally like slide their parents downhill. So I had to actually return, despite being from Vermont, I had to, um, I had to learn how to edge when I moved to Colorado, which was kind of interesting. And I didn't, um, I didn't really believe that I needed to learn to edge when I was skiing moles because I was like, look, I can crash into the mogul and slow down. What's, what, you know, what's the problem? I absorb and I, and I roll over and I go. But, <laughs> you know, obviously there's still skiers on the World Cup that are skiing super slidey. But um, I, think, I think you have better success, better control if you can get more of an edge. So I did eventually spend a ton of time skiing flats and learning how to make a GS turn. And, um, and that was actually later in my career and it made a huge difference. Like that's like, I was skiing, I was skiing my best skiing when I was 34 years old. I mean, I was skiing 
you know, most people have retired by then. They, I mean, I don't, I don't even think the US ski team lets you be on the team if you're that old anymore. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, I was one of the best in the world in my mid thirties, which is pretty crazy, but I attribute that to, um, you know, really, really learning how to ski at, mm-hmm. a, at a later, I mean, really, really learning what, what a ski can do, how to arc a ski. Um, it made a huge difference. So mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing. Interesting. And so, so for those, uh, kind of out there, some of those younger kids, maybe getting into sport, um, something like that along those lines, what, what would be a couple pieces of, of advice? I mean, would it be not, not to focus in on, uh, necessarily one sport, maybe, uh, try a few of them. Cause, uh, you know, you, you definitely had, uh, quite a few. And I think that that makes, you know, a, a well-rounded athlete for sure. And I think that fast muscle twitch, I mean, it kind of helps there, right? Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, things are different now. I understand that, but mm-hmm. I still am a huge believer in, in multi-sport athlete, um, for your physicality as well as your mentality. Um, I think throwing all your eggs in one basket for the entire year, year after year after year is really tough on kids. Um, and yeah, may, they love it and they would just want it. That's all they want to do. But, um, if that's all they do, they don't, they don't know what they're missing. They don't know. I don't know. I, I, I am a huge fan of get your kids involved in as many things as you can at a young age. And, um, it's hard as they get older. There's no doubt about it. I mean, my daughter's 16 right now and she still plays soccer and it's hard. She, she, you know, she missed two entire weeks of the high school season, which is, which is a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it also keeps her hungry to ski. And, uh, you know, when, when her team was still training a little bit, the last uh, couple of weeks, she definitely was like, Oh, I can't wait to ski. I can't wait to ski. And, um, but I think it's, it's so good. You know, it stresses your muscles in different ways. It gives you, gives your brain a break. Um, just if you can, if you can keep your kid involved in at least another sport at an older age, like 16, for instance, I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's uh, one of those things, especially, you know, being around here in park city, you definitely see the, the very young, like specialized camps. And it's like, well, we can do more than just, you know, just that one thing. It doesn't have to be that at like 10, 11 years old. I mean, played football yeah. and tennis and did a bunch of other stuff and cross training and, you know, loved all that. And it also, I feel like it gets you away, you know, you get different, different friend groups, different people that you don't really get to see and kind of creates those, those different connections that you can have for, uh, you know, for the rest of your life, for sure. For sure. Very important. Yeah. So after you go through, uh, let's go back to, uh, you know, 1992 and you kind of, you, you get that last spot. I mean, what is, what is that feeling? I mean, that's, that's that goal. I mean, you know, as you touched on talking to Park Smalley and everything else, I'm going to go a couple of years and, and let's see, and I'll put a cap on it. If not, I'll be out. And here you are, you've just qualified for the 1992 Olympics and you're headed off. So, um, I was, is slash am fairly introverted, kind of a homebody, which is kind of funny when people hear that they're like, really, you traveled all over the world for years. (laughs) I know. Um, but so we were in Lake Placid at the last world cup before they named the Olympic team in 92 and, um, they did it by place points. And so it was, uh, there were a couple, there were like four of us, I think, going for that last spot. And, uh, and they call you into a room and they're like, okay, you know, you're going or you're not basically. So they said, you're going. And it was like the most, so at this point I have skied at, uh, Whistler and that's the only place, only world cup I've ever skied in, um, out of the country. (laughs) 
I've only skied in three World Cups as it is, right? Um, <laughs> so, so I grew up about uh, two hours from Lake Placid. So I went home. I went home and hung out at my house for a couple of days and just kind of chilled out. And then, uh, and then got on a plane. And we actually we went to um, uh, Germany. Oh my God, I'm totally Obioke in Germany for our, the World Cup before Albertville. And um, so that was my second international start. And and it was great fun. I mean, it was, that was fine. And then we got to the Olympics and we went through the processing where they give you everything you can imagine. I mean, everything from a bathrobe <laughs> to snow boots. To, I actually still have a pair of um, dark blue tall Uggs that I got at the 92 Olympics. I walked my dog in them, but, um, <laughs> but everything you can imagine, you know, gi two giant duffel bags. And then we went up to teen France, which everybody else on the team had been to, but I hadn't um, because I never skied in France. Right. Um, and uh, checked into our place. And when you walked up into the up the stairs and down the hallway, there were um, boxes of M and M's that you could take. So every time you went by, you would take M and M's, like like an M and <laughs> Like these are the things I remember from the Olympics, right? Um, so that Olympics, um, I was lucky enough to have four different experiences. So I could, you know, that was that was the only Olympics I knew at that point. M and M's mm -hmm. was a big one, and we stayed up at teen the whole time. So we weren't in the Olympic village and we weren't around other sports. Um, and in order to get to Albertville, it was a two hour bus ride down. And then it was a, you know, a two hour, whatever bus ride up another Canyon to another event. So we didn't actually see that many other events. We went to Albertville a couple of times to the Olympic village down there. And, uh, a couple other, we went to like, um, we saw Hillary Lynn win a medal in slalom and we went to, Oh, Val Desaire was right over the other side of teen. So we did actually go, um, I think Liz McIntyre and I went over to Val and watched some of the men's downhill, which was kind of fun. Um, but it wasn't like this crazy celebration of sport for me because it was, we weren't with all the other athletes. We were with the mogul athletes in teen France. So, um, oh, but the opening ceremonies actually was the crazy. I've never, I'd never seen an opening ceremonies at that point, walking into that arena. and That's just, unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And then the show, I didn't even know there was like a, the big show with all these that that was when they did all this bungee jumping and, and people were rollerblading around in crazy costumes. And that was a, that was a big experience for sure. That was I will remember that for the rest of my life. But um, so I didn't I fell on my butt on the fourth turn out of the gate at the Olympics. I'm embarrassed to say. Um, so the competition part, I don't I don't uh, I don't like to remember too much, but um but then we, you know, skied the rest of the World Cup. And then that year at Nationals, uh, so 92 Nationals, I got fourth. And uh, this is a little confusing, but so you had to get top four at Nationals to make the U.S. team. But the top two people from the World Cup already had spots. So if one of them didn't get in the top four, then you had to be higher than fourth. So um, Donna won and Liz, who was ranked second for the U S on the world cup got like sixth. So she was out. So I actually needed to be in the top three in order to get a spot. So I was put back on the development team. Gotcha. Interesting. Devastating. Devastating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost quit. Like, really? like it was, oh yeah. Cause I was back. I mean, back then the development team <clears throat> had a different color uniform and you didn't get mm -hmm. any funding. Like it was just, it was brutal. So, um, and I was ranked uh, 10th in the world at that point also didn't matter because I didn't do well enough at nationals, even though right. I got for it. So that year I had to go back to selections, which the selections that year were actually in Canada, 
Don't ask. I don't know. So I drove my <laughs> car right. in Colorado up through Glacier National Park all the way to Calgary. And we had um, at Fortress Mountain. Have you heard of Fortress Mountain? Mm-hmm. It was this yep. little mountain yep. up there. So there was a, it was, I don't, it was weird. So we had one day of selections and one day was a NORAM. So that's the only NORAM I ever skied in actually. And I won. And so I got my, my World Cup starts again, drove back home and got to ski World Cup after Christmas. And from there I qualified high enough in the, in the North American World Cups to be able to continue on the tour. And then that year I won nationals. And so then I was on the team for the rest of the time. Gotcha. I mean, it seems like a lot of, of perseverance, you know, it's always a word that I love to use. And, um, I mean, it just seems not only at that, that point in your career, but I mean, several different times, I mean, the, the devastation of not getting the spot that you want at, at nationals, and then you have to go back and you have to go back to the drawing board and continue to keep, keep clawing your way back and, and kind of fighting and really solidifying that spot. I mean, what was that? Um, I was curious. What was that kind of pressure like going through? I mean, is that um, something that you enjoyed or something that you wouldn't enjoy? I mean, knowing um, that, like, okay, got to do well here. Got to. I mean, is that something you would really think about, or is it just I got to go out and compete and I just want to win? You know, I never really felt. A, I, interestingly enough, I didn't put a ton of pressure on myself ever. I, I knew that I wanted to win and mm-hmm. I knew that I had to ski really well in order to do it, but it wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't ever really feel it like totally stressed out pressure, okay. um, which is kind of interesting when I think about it. And the other thing that I never did is I never had expectations that I would ski really well. Like I really wanted to win, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I guess expectations might not be the right word. I never had the confidence that I was going to ski really well. Like I never had a ton of confidence in, in my game. And like I said, I trained really hard. Um, I was, you know, first one on the hill, last one off the hill. And I mean, I, I think from my results, it's safe to say I I was a pretty good skier, but I never felt like I'm, you know, I'm the best skier out here. I never had any sort of swagger. I never, I just never really had a ton of, of, uh, self-confidence. And I look back and I think, obviously you know words are words but Mm -hmm. when I look back at Salt Lake um and why I I couldn't get a medal there and I think the one thing is I just didn't have that extra level of belief that I could you know Mm -hmm. and it kind of kills me and I'm like you know I'm in the Stargate at the Olympics I qualified second um you know I had everything going for me but I just didn't I just didn't um take my mentality my I just didn't take that belief to the next level and be like, you know, have that, have the attitude of, you know, this is mine. I got this. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about that a lot. And, um, you know, physically I was all there, but mentally, I just don't think I believed. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's, it's, right? I mean, it's, it's super That's tough. Huge. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's one of those things. I mean, confidence is confidence is definitely one of those, one of those keys. And I mean, it's, it's, interesting to hear i mean reeling off all the accomplishments and everything else but i mean that is one of the most <laughs> infuriating things about the mind i mean you believe yeah. what you believe whether you know it's true or not it's what it's what you believe and what kind of kind of what you think and uh that's yeah it's super interesting on the you know because i mean you would imagine that um confidence is always tough though because it's the hardest thing to uh, get and it's the easiest thing to lose so 
Uh, when I think I never had the confidence game. to be able to talk a big game and then have the confidence to support the big game. So I didn't want to talk the big game if I wasn't going to. Gotcha. Interesting. If I wasn't going to perform. And I didn't, I wasn't confident enough to know that I could perform. Mm-hmm. So I never, I, I like, I couldn't really balance those things out. So I never really got to the level where I was super confident in, in what I brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. Very, very interesting. Hmm. Like I still, like, even so, like when I, when goal setting and stuff, I, I always had a hard time goal setting because I didn't want to not achieve that goal. Right. And, and I, I've, I've actually talked to, all right, when I was skiing, I would talk to a lot of people about that. Like, you know, we talk about all this goal setting, but what if I don't achieve that? Cause you, they never really tell you what to do if you don't achieve that goal other than, oh yeah, you just set new goals. Well, yeah, but what about the, what about, I mean, that's a pretty big hit to not achieve that goal. Does that mean that I underperformed? Does that mean that my goal was set too lofty? Does that mean, what is, what exactly does that mean? And how do I get over that? And, uh, it's a, it's an interesting, um, I don't think, I don't think enough is spent thinking about that. And I mean, even after the Olympics, when I retired, they take you to, they invite you to go, you know, kind of what's next, like, what are you going to do with yourself now? Now you're an Olympic athlete. Now you're entering the real world. And, um, I remember I was at this one and they had all the, all the panelists that were up there talking about, you know, what comes after the Olympics were all people that had won Olympic medals. Mm-hmm. So I raised my hand and I said, you know, you guys all achieved your goals, but I didn't. So, you know, what's my, like, how do I, how do I move on from this? You guys have, you know, it's, you got mm-hmm. your, you, you put in all this time and work and got your, got your Olympic medal, but, you know, I put in arguably more time and work than you guys did. And I didn't. So, right. and, and it was, I got shut down. It was really interesting. Really? Yeah. There was didn't... no discussion about it. It was all about, you know, the Olympics is so great. You're an Olympian and, you can move, you know, this is the best thing ever. And it's like, well, you know, now that there's all this talk about, about athletes and depression and it's, it's so real. It's so real. Yeah. You know, there's only, there's only a couple people that win medals. What about the rest of the people that have dedicated their whole life to this? It's right. really interesting. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Just go back, go back to work. Just go back. to yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a uh, super interesting because that's, I mean, that's always how it is, right? You know, there's only one, there's only one winner. There's only three yeah. of those medals they give out in each, uh, each discipline. So, um, makes it tough. I mean, for you, I mean, obviously you, you went to four different Olympics and each Olympics I'm sure had a completely different, uh, experience and vibe to it. And, um, what was your overall, I mean, um, what was the most valuable, I guess, lessons if you could try, you know, there's probably, you know, going to be more than one, but I mean, takeaways, not only from that, um, just from, I guess we'll start with just those, those different Olympics. What, what's like a few of your main takeaways that, that, um, you really, uh, looking back can embrace. Um, okay. So 92, it was opening ceremonies. Like this is the most amazing thing ever. And it was, um, the, the volume of Olympic memorabilia that you got and that I still have. That was 92. I mean, that was just like, like that was so eye-opening to me. Like I had no idea. Then 94 was Lillehammer, which was um, kind of what I thought of when I thought of Olympics. Everybody stayed at the Olympic Village. It was freezing cold and white and snowy and very pure. And um, 
you know, still the Coca-Cola signs, but just much mellower and much more serene. And the course was just perfect. And um, everything was right there. Like the Nordic track went up around the, up behind the jumps and the mogul course and the jumps were right next to the freestyle venues. And really cool. it was just, it was just really, really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Japan was just crazy. It was just that <laughs> whole experience was just, I mean, I'd been to Japan many times before that. Um, so I knew how crazy they were for mobile skiing. They loved mobile skiing. And then to bring in every other sport too, with the whole Olympics, it was just a extremely enthusiastic uh, people there for sure. Um, so it was pretty like there, you really felt like a celebrity because people actually knew who you were. So that was kind of interesting in a, in a sport like mobile skiing where, you know, you kind of can fly under the radar. And then Salt Lake, I, I was, um, I wasn't quite as excited for Salt Lake because I was like, it's in my home country. Everyone's speaking English. It's stuff that I know. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it ended up being maybe one of my favorite Olympics. Um, the excessive, it was right after 9-11 also. So we, we were kind of not even knowing what was going to happen and yeah. if it was going to happen. And, um, it ended up being a really, really fun Olympics and, um, I knew it was my last Olympics, so I really tried to participate in everything I could. I went to a million events. Um, I did all this, you know, went to parties and, you know, I rode on the, I rode on the um, wagon through Salt Lake City behind the Budweiser Clydesdales, which was just like, you know, just soaked it all in. And um, that was probably my favorite course that I ever skied was, was the Deer Valley Olympics. Um, It was just a really a really fun, cool experience. I, I have really fond memories of that Olympics for sure. Now for each Olympics, did you have different like um, expectations or, or goals or kind of, I mean, obviously the first Olympics didn't go quite the way you planned. Fourth turn, take a little squat. <laughs> Things don't go quite so well. I mean, coming back a couple of years later in, in 94, is it, okay, I just want to get down this time or is it like, uh, I, I want to win. So 92 was survival. There's no doubt. Survival. That was just get through this and then get me home. I don't know what we're doing there. <laughs> um, 94 was the first time that I, I had done okay. I mean, I wasn't, I hadn't been on the podium or anything yet. So it wasn't like, I wasn't going in with expectations of winning, but, um, I was skiing well. I was one of the top, you know, top five, six girls. Mm -hmm. So it was the first time that I felt the media pressure and training there, there were cameras and there were people and it was, it really freaked me out. That was, and I didn't really handle it very well. Um, it was, uh, it wasn't all about me. All of a sudden it was about me trying to figure out what's going on around me. And I'm, I'm not just skiing. I'm not just training. Like I'm training with an audience. And that was right. I, I really struggled with that a lot. Uh, 98, I was actually ranked first going into the Olympics. Um, and the week before we had a world cup at Breckenridge on mock mm-hmm. and, um, it, I won the first run and in training between runs, I cartwheeled from the top air to the bottom air, knocked myself out, got up, brushed myself off, got back on the lift, um, got off the lift. Couldn't remember which way the mobile course was waited till somebody got off the course with a bib on, followed them to the top of the mobile course got in the gate for my run and packed it into my second air and uh, was promptly taken over to Vail to get a CAT scan and they deemed me fine. And so the next morning we had a six o'clock flight to Japan. 
wow. out of uh, Denver. So um, I got to Japan. I was scared to ski. I was sore from head to toe. I was ranked number one in the world. I mean, it was, it was a disaster. So um, I ended up, uh, I ran, I think I ran in quals second to last. And um, I had, I made a mistake. I had like a slip on like, like the snow was really packed still to this day, call it Japan snow. It was like <laughs> it was warm and really packy. And you know, that okay. yeah. snow that, yep. so I just, I slipped out a little bit and I was in 16th place and Candace Gilg, who was ranked second in the world was right behind me. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm not even going to make finals. So she ended up falling also. So I made finals in the 16th spot and uh, you know, I skied okay, but that was that. So I ended up 10th there. So that was, that was reasonably devastating for sure. And, and uh, so, so played. like, uh, do you, any, like, uh, it's so funny now, like, uh, with how much the world has changed when it comes to concussions and all that stuff, oh, you yeah. slightly ring your bell and, you know, yeah. uh, compared to now, I mean, do you, do you remember like having, um, being dizzy at all on like on the court when you were going through training and everything else? Cause it sounds like it's a pretty quick turnaround to be right at, uh, you know, right to Nagano. Um, I just know, I just know that I, I had no interest in skiing when I got off, when I got to Nagano. I mean, gotcha. it was, I was like, I was mentally a disaster. I was mm -hmm. physically so sore. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't fall that much. I had taken two huge crashes and, um, you know, just was scared to ski. Like this was not, this was right. not me at all. So that was tough. That was definitely tough. And I had, and, I, and there I had expectations on me, right? Mm -hmm. You go in first in the world. That's a big deal. So that was tough. But after that, I mean, you, you really rebounded. And uh, I mean, the next year you're the, you're the world cup overall uh, champion, which I know was one so of those I, goals I, that you'd, you'd set about trying to, trying to accomplish. I think I set uh, like I, my career was, was basically built around the 98 Olympics to win the Olympics and sail off into the sunset. And when I didn't um, suddenly like there were, I had no expectations. I had no nothing. I was just skiing for the fun of skiing. And so I was going to, I was going to retire after 98 mm -hmm. and I went to my first training camp and um, it was like a whole different deal. Like it was skiing for skiing and having fun and it was awesome. And I was skiing really well. And um, so I went to my next training camp and I was like, this is, this is, I love skiing. This is so much fun. So I decided I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to retire. And I went into that season skiing better than ever, you know, great attitude, just, you know, showing up to ski. And yeah, I ended up winning the world championships that year, the world cup um, moguls, and I won nationals and uh, in singles and dual moguls that year, actually on champion. I remember I was there. I remember. You were I a little grommet. I was a little right? grom. Travis Cabral won the singles. You, uh, you dominated on the, on the lady side. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. So that was, that was a big year. And then it was like, well, okay, you know, I just won that. Am I really going to retire now? So then I, I decided to ski again the next year and I ended up winning the world cup overall that year as well. And then I was like, well, Olympics is only two years away. I may as well stick around. So, and so that, whole, so that big was, difference, it sounds like there's definitely like a mindset change dude. after 98 and just, okay, you kind of just take a breath and the pressure or the tension or, or whatever that is just, just kind of, you know, the air is let out of the balloon and then you just go out and it's back to being at, at, <laughs> in Vermont, just banging into those bums, having fun with your friends, trying to race to the bottom of the hill. Yeah, exactly. It was just, it was, it was just, it was much more fun. Whereas it had become more of a job and more of a, um, I said earlier that I didn't put a ton of pressure on myself, but, um, 
it was just kind of maybe it was my expectation that going into 98 like I just this is the way it's going to go this is what my career is going to do and then after that ended it was like okay it's a whole new world now now I can just go out and ski mm-hmm. so super yeah I mean it's crazy how much that the, those changes happen and how they make uh make all the difference in the world because clearly the talent and the, and the drive and the work ethic and that stuff uh you know propelled you to uh enormous heights in the sport for sure and uh yeah so it's good to see that you know you go out and have a little bit of fun and was it the same so i'm curious after 98 was it still that same um intensity and still the same uh like we're like okay i'm gonna put in another 10 15 runs after it was like you know what i'm gonna training's done I'm good for the day I'll get back i've kind of you know how, how much of that is is taking inventory and kind of learning from your past and like all right I've reached this spot. I'm in a good place. I kind of know what I need to do moving forward. Um, uh, no, I never reached that spot. No, I never reached it. No, I, like I said, I never really, I never banked on what I, all the years I'd put in. I always just was, I, I was a doer. I just had, to, I had to, the only confidence that I got from any of my training was that I had done more than anybody else. So I was, I was, I was a doer all the way to the bitter end. Mm-hmm. And I'm paying for it now, but that's what I did. That was, that was my, uh, that was, that was, that was the way that, that I could show up in the gate with, with my best package was knowing that I, that I'd put in that work. No, that's, I mean, it's interesting because some people are definitely, I mean, that's how their mind, that's, that's what, you know, gives you that confidence. Right. And for some people, um, comes in different ways and that, that totally makes sense. I mean, um, makes a lot of sense for sure. Now, through, I mean, obviously the, your career and everything else, who, who are some of those, uh, people, you know, other than mom and dad that kind of helped, uh, help propel or, or create, create the, uh, the monster. Um, I think, uh, I had a soccer coach in, uh, in high school that, that I always just kind of admired him. He, uh, he would, he just made us put in the work every day, like we'd have a full practice and then he'd be like, okay, you're on the line. We're doing sprints at the end. And, and that kind of set me up for, okay, you know, you, you do, you do this level that everybody else does, but we're going to do more. And and that's, I think where that, that mindset of, I got to always do more Mm -hmm. came in. And then, um, and then park, he was, he was an unbelievable influence in my skiing career. He, um, when I moved to Steamboat, he he was I think he was still coaching the U.S. team because he wasn't really around that much, but he was in charge of the he was the program director at Winter Sports Club, and um, I got to know him over the next few years um, skiing at Steamboat. Like I said, he he really wasn't here that much, but then when I made the U.S. team, he became uh, just an amazing resource for me. I mean, obviously he had he'd been traveling with the U.S. team, he knew the way the whole system worked, which I didn't know anything about, and uh, but he really, he really kind of, he just believed in me, you know, even though I was pretty old when I got going and, uh, you know, he's, he said some things to me that just always, that have all, like, I still use today with, with the kids that I coach, you know, like you, you have two ears for a reason. If you don't like it, it goes in one ear and out the other. And, um, I remember in 94 when I was really struggling with, uh, training in the media and, um, you know, he, he slipped me a piece of paper and I still have it somewhere. Um, but, you know, just control your emotions, believe in yourself, you're the best, you know, and it was just a really basic thing of just reminding me that, you know, you got this and he had my back and he was the, 
he was the first person I called when I won world championships in 99 from Switzerland. And, uh, and I didn't get him. I left him a message, but still, I mean, he, he yeah. uh, just his, the, his demeanor and, and he's very calming and uh, he always, I just feel like he always knew what to say. So he, he definitely brought me along through, I mean, even though he wasn't really around at the end of my career, he's, he definitely, I still talk to him and um, he just had a huge impact on me. Mm-hmm. And what are some of those, some of those uh, lessons from skiing that you still kind of um, use today? And obviously, you know, with a little bit of coaching, you have some of those lessons you can use in and you have some of the wisdom you've gotten from Park and, and other people. But just over the course of your career that um, maybe not only in skiing, but just just kind of some of those lessons that you use uh, in life. Um, the biggest one, and I share it frequently with um, with my kids, my my athletes is. It, you know, training doesn't count. It doesn't have to be there today. You know, the only run that matters is your competition run. So if you're having a tough day training, it's okay. It, you know, like, and, oh, well, so-and-so is leaving that air so well, da, 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 da. Have confidence in your plan. Have confidence in yourself. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. That run was not your competition run. So, you know, um, trying to get them to move, you know, put those things behind them and get in the proper mindset for their competition run. I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I try to, um, try to get my athletes to, to realize and to have confidence, like not to be able to get sunk down or sucked down by other people skiing well and training just doesn't matter, you know, like, like building them up so that they can perform their best when it's time. Mm-hmm. And that was something that, uh, through the course of my career, I was not a good trainer. I never won training. I definitely, I was a competitor. Interesting. So, yep. Training didn't always happen. <laughs> No, <laughs> very few top to bottom runs in my training career. Well, that's, well, it's good to, it's good to know that you can bring it all, bring it all together. And how are you uh, in, I mean, the, the coaching aspect, that's gotta be nice and, and rewarding on a different, uh, you get to, you get to influence and you don't get to hurt the body as much anymore. You know, there's still a little bit, you know, the, that lower back gets a little bit sore standing, uh, standing on the course, but uh, a lot of shoveling, <laughs> a lot of shoveling too. Yeah. But um you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to, it's gotta be great to be able to, you know, kind of give back to the sport and, and everything else. I mean, Steamboat is certainly one of the, the meccas and, and main programs uh, in the country and always uh, producing great talent. It is, it's been really fun to be involved um, with these guys and, and um, you know, moguls is obviously an individual sport, but it's always been important to me to, to have a sense of team and I've worked with some of these athletes since they were what you 13s or something like that. And to see them bond, have how bonded they are and, you know, growing through the sport. And then um, this year, I mean, so I had a group of 10 girls at U15 mm-hmm. um, and now there's only, there's really only four of them left, but to see them like uh, welcoming the younger kids in and to see them last year getting really tight with some of the Rocky kids. And then this year getting tight with the, with the um, park city kids is really, really cool. And to see the supportive, um, just the support they give each other. And now it's even extending to other teams too. I think it's just, it's just, it's awesome. It's so cool. I love it. It is cool. It's a different, it's definitely a different dynamic because it was definitely not there. It was definitely much more. And I don't know if it was like, I don't know if it was more competitive is like the right term, but it just definitely seemed more cut. I don't know, cutthroat because it is like yeah. an individual sport and it's such a hard dynamic there are not many other sports like it where it's really you 
Um, but then you're also on a team, right? Yeah. So you're on this club and then you have other people that you're kind of friends with. Some of them you actually are friends with, and then you got to try and support them. But then at the same time, you want to kick their ass. You want to beat them. And yeah. Then it, yeah. I mean, it creates, and then you hit, you know, then you don't kick their ass or you do. And then it, it leads to what quiet car rides and you know, yeah. there's so many totally. different dynamics that kind of, that kind of go into it. It's, it's, it, you know, it's interesting from an athlete's perspective, but then definitely on the coaching side, you, you get to look at that and you're like a lot of different uh, personalities in the sport. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then the other thing that I always try to um, get my kids on board with is that they, they need to learn how to, how to be their best coach and they need to be skiing and have the drive for them. Not for me. Like I don't want them to be out skiing to impress me. That's, that's not what it's all about. I'm their coach. I'm there to support them. I'm here. I'm there to help them achieve their goals, but I want it, them to be their goals. I don't, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not my, um, it's not my experience. It's not my journey. It's their, it's their journey. So, um, you know, own your journey and you'll get out of it what you put into it, but you need to make that decision. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I think that's really super important because, um, it's one of those things that uh, kids, especially, you know, every run needs to be iPaded. Everyone needs to be seen. Every run. To be, did you did you watch it? No, I missed it. How was it? Well, I don't I, I don't know how it was. How do you not know how it was? You just skied it. You just did it. You just performed it. How are you not aware? And that's certainly uh, one of those things, I think, with the social media and TikTok and everything else, that that attention span is so, so short. It's like, are you even paying attention when you're actually in the middle of like, skiing and doing your thing like are you or you know whatever it is it's like you're paying attention right because yeah I'm, I'm not paying i can't be paying attention for you all the time so i think that 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 ownership is is definitely super important and i think i think it makes them probably you know it should i mean it should at least make you care more you know if you're really owning it and you're really putting in the work and if you aren't then maybe you shouldn't be doing it yeah or maybe i mean you shouldn't be relying on me to have the, of how that, of how that run was. You need to, you need to feel it. You need to know it. You need to see, I mean, it needs to be a whole, your whole body experience, you know, and I'm here, I'm here to help, but it's not all about me at all. So it, it is interesting. And some kids handle it a lot better than other kids do. Mm -hmm. But um, how much is that, is that switch from, because that's another interesting kind of dynamic when you go from the being the athlete to kind of being being the coach and one of those things like at least looking back on my career and one of the reasons why I don't think I was as successful as I could have been is I just wasn't selfish enough and on some level when you get into skiing or everything else and you go up to totem bowl you just have to you know it has to be about you it has to be that that selfish um nature and you know I don't think that's one of those things that's really talked about because <laughs> in the rest of the world that's you know the rest of life that's not really a good thing to kind of be so that selfish and and everything else but um it is it is one of those things and um that that's kind of important you got to be make sure that you have your priorities in order as you start to move into that um higher performance realm and and everything else of where you want to go that there is a certain amount of of selfishness but for you i mean you go from that and then going into to coaching is that that little bit of pullback there and then you know, it's about creating uh, a fun team environment. And then you have so many different personalities and so many different athletes. You got to try and uh, keep track of. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very true. You do have, I mean, 
to be, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but you do have to, um, you have to be selfish in certain aspects. You have to be selfish, you know, in your training, you have to be selfish in your dryland training. You have to be selfish of when you want to go to bed and that you're eating well. And there has to be these things that have to matter to you enough that you're willing to go against what everybody else is doing or whatever. Like those are those sacrifices, right? You have to be able to, uh, you have to be able to prioritize yourself and what you consider to be the things that are going to they're, they're going to allow you to have success or at least help you have success and um you have to be a team player but you have to put yourself first and there's i mean there's the team will travel together and the team will do stuff together but there are such there are a lot of situations where you need to decide how you're going to handle that for yourself and what's going to make what's going to make you the most um successful that you can be for sure absolutely how is the uh, one thing I just wanted to wanted to touch on or, or ask for for some of those people uh, or skiers out there that are that are having some of those down periods, down times? Um, you know, we touched on a little bit with that with that perseverance, but what would be a little bit of, of words of wisdom? Trying to as they're navigating, maybe uh, rehabbing some injuries or trying to trying to get things back on on track. Maybe they didn't have the best season they were looking for or anything else. I mean, what were some of those things that that kind of always helped you? Um, so for me, it's, uh, consistency in, in what I do. And, um, and for me, it's always been about, um, dryland training. Like mm -hmm. even to this day, I mean, I haven't, I quit competing 20 years ago and I still am super consistent about, um, doing some sort of athletic endeavor every day. And that grounds me. And it puts me in a good mood and it just like, that's my meditation time, mm -hmm. whether I'm out for a hike or I'm at the gym or I'm on a bike ride or whatever, <clears throat> excuse me. That's my, that's my selfish time that, uh, that I, you know, kind of revitalize myself. So obviously if you're a competitive athlete, you are going to be on a roller coaster. There's going to be goods and there's going to be bads, but if you can figure out that consistent thing that always grounds you and gets you back to, you know in your mindset of of um of being of like reminding yourself that who you are like if you're on a really high you really aren't that super high person you're just mm -hmm. that's just that day of what's right. happening yep. you still need to be that grounded person and if you're having a really crappy day or really crappy season or whatever you know getting to that level okay this is what this is what keeps me me um and uh i think that's that's one thing that's always helped me through uh, down times and up times is just having that consistent, um, let me get my workout in and it's going to help my mind so much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe it's for some people, they read a book. Maybe it's for some people, they go for a run. I don't know. But for me, it's always been doing something athletic that just kind of, you know, gets my endorphins going a little bit and just mellows me out. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Get those endorphins going. Yeah. Well, uh, and thank you uh, so much for taking the time. I know you got some other stuff to get to and uh, really appreciate it though. I'm glad we were finally able to, uh, to make this happen. Yeah. Thanks, Bobby. Nice to talk to you. Perfect. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening and uh, yeah, have a good one. Hey everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And if you're watching or listening on YouTube, please make sure you hit that bell button so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Thanks.